This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of November 2nd, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 301 of Defender Radio. It's the start of a new season for the podcast, and it's a thrill to get planning for the next year. We're intending on bringing you the latest science, the biggest names, the best policy discussion, and more as we move through the season. And we want to hear from you. Get involved on our Facebook page or Twitter, or follow me personally on Twitter, at Defender Radio, and Instagram, at Howie Michael. Following our break from the 2015 Living with Wildlife Conference, we're getting back into things with a tough situation facing bears, and those who want to protect them in Whistler, British Columbia. An unprecedented food shortage has affected the behavior of the bears, who through September and October are looking for calories anywhere they can be found. As a result of this unique situation, Sylvia Dolson and the Get Bear Smart Society proposed a provincially operated diversionary feeding program. Effectively, they wanted to put natural foodstuffs into the wild areas to prevent the bears from pushing closer to human settled areas and the subsequent conflict that would arise. The province ultimately rejected this plan and, despite Whistler's reputation of being a bear-smart community, several bears have been killed following conflict scenarios. To discuss this difficult situation, potential solutions, and what the real cost of the consequences will be, Sylvia joined Defender Radio. I thought to start we could just uh, go over a bit about what the Get Bear Smart Society does, uh, sort of on a, a day-to-day basis. What's the the uh, the purpose behind the organization? Well, Get Bear Smart really helps to mitigate human bear conflict. We uh, create bear smart communities using Whistler as a model community. So we kind of work out the bugs here, and then we help and consult with other communities, uh, NGOs, governments, agencies. And uh, and help help them to become bear smart as well. Well, and that's something I I find very uh, curious myself. Uh, a lot of provincial governments used to do what your organization does. Uh, is that one of the reasons why Get Bear Smart Society is so busy these days? Well, yes. <laughs> Certainly, governments really haven't taken this on at a level that would be effective. And as you know, in Ontario, your Bear Wise program was cancelled, um, and our Bear Smart program really doesn't have very much funding. And so it would be great for that program to get some more funding as well, um, and then to share some of the funding with different organizations across British Columbia that do the work, like ours. So we get zero provincial funding. Yeah, and you, uh, I know you do a lot of work with municipalities. I know you've done work with uh, police services in the past. So it's, it's all very positive. Um, and we're certainly glad that, uh, that you're, you're keeping busy um, as a great representative for the animals. Uh, and, and speaking of which, what are bears up to in BC this time of year? Uh, I think it's similar to Ontario, uh, although we don't have the, uh, the same range uh, as you do just due to our weather being different. So what, what are the bears of the West Coast doing? Are they hanging out and catching fish or what's, what's their, their program? Well, in some areas, for sure, they would be catching fish. I'm not sure 
you know, about all the different salmon runs. They all run at different times and the different species run at different times. Um, our bears here in Whistler have no access to salmon whatsoever. And so they're never fishing. Um, our bears right now are eating grass on the golf course, on the ski hill, um, any, anywhere that they can find grass because that is all that is left to eat. We had a very early season. And so uh, the crops were a month early, berry crops were a month early. And, um, you know, typically now after this amount of feeding, they would be heading to den, but they're still out there uh, foraging on grass. And so actually the last week has been quiet. So I have my fingers and toes crossed um, and hoping that um, they're going to go to den soon. And that's uh, been in the news for you, uh, specifically in Whistler. Um, we'll, we'll start, there's there's two items I wanted to talk with you about um, that you sent out as part of your regular uh, news brief uh, uh, to all of us um, who, who harass you for it. Um, and the first one was the diversionary feeding. Um, and, and this, uh, I emailed a bit with you about this when it happened, and it goes against absolutely everything you will say 365 days a year except in this very particular situation so could you explain why feeding bears can in these very very limited circumstances actually be a good thing well you know and 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 to be fair it completely depends on how the program is launched and so it needs to be very planned very temporary and the, the caloric value of the food cannot be high enough to increase the reproductive capacity of the, of, the, of the female bears. Otherwise, you know, you're just exacerbating the problem over time. Um, certainly, diversionary and supplementing feeding has worked in many areas. You know, to be honest with you, it would be very difficult and challenging to launch a diversionary feeding program here in Whistler. Not that I, I wouldn't have tried. We were turned down by the province in our request to do that. But it's a very delicate balance in the feeding. They do it in, in Ely, Minnesota. Dr. Lynn Rogers uh, has a supplemental feeding program there, and he has a number of residents that actually feed the bears um, in their yards. It's a whole different scenario because it's like cottage country. Everybody has a couple of acres. And the bears can move around without getting into too much trouble. They know exactly where these feeding stations are and they go directly to them when they want to supplement their diet with, with the food. Um, and even in, in Dr. Rogers' case, if, if one neighbor goes on holidays or something and they stop feeding, somebody else has to pick, pick up that slack because the bears are used to getting a certain amount. And so I know at, at one point, many, many years ago, and I went to visit Dr. Rogers and, the, and at the Northwoods Research Facility, we arrived and he was away. And um, so, but he had left, left the door open for us to go in, but we noted that uh, there had been a, a, a whole a bucket of, of seed turned over and it was spilling into the house. Um, and so um, we, we were thinking, oh, goodness, there's probably a bear in there. We're going to have to open all the doors and windows and try, try to get him out of there. And so, you know, what happened was the bears got 
pretty desperate, and they uh, went inside the house to get that bucket of food. Yeah, so they, they, they expected that much that they're going to say, it comes from inside, I'm going in, guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's not without its problems. Um, it certainly, you know, it would have been an experimental thing here so that we could learn more about it in this particular situation. Well, and could you define what the situation was? Because uh, I think that's what makes this such a a unique need uh and you explained it quite well to some of the local media there uh the, the pike news i believe is one of them yeah and so it's, it's actually been our uh you know the worst natural food shortage in 22 years here in whistler in september and that's because all of the food was depleted early um, and so we knew we had about three months to get through with no food for bears and so um you know what is a bear to do if he has no food they're not going to starve to death. They're going to do whatever they can to access food. So, you know, it, almost in a way, you're looking at the lesser of the evils here. You know, do you allow them to, because um, we're pretty bear smart here. We have all of our garbage contained and hardly anybody, you know, has bird feeders out or any of that stuff that bears could access. And so, you know, bears are going to have to go into buildings to get food. So, you know, what do you do? Do you wait for that to happen and kill them? Or do you strategically place piles of food in the woods to keep them out of town? Um, it, it was a desperate situation that, you know, indeed called for desperate measures. And uh, once the, the province did turn down this scenario, uh, uh, which was very disappointing, um, there is evidence now that shows that there are negative consequences as a result. I, I understand this is uh, how many bears have been killed uh, this year so far? Seven in Whistler. Uh, and th that includes one cub of the year, just a few months old. I mean, they're born in January. Um, so, th so the little cub would have been nine months old. And um, that, that's another issue. We, it, we had for a time an operational procedure that dealt with orphan cubs. So if their mother got into conflict, the cubs were sent to a rehab facility and they were then released the next spring when they were bigger and fatter and able to fend for themselves. That policy has been thrown out by the BC Conservation Officer Service and they have gone back to an archaic policy from 2001. And that policy gives no consideration to communities who've achieved fair smart status like we have and no consideration, you know, for the stress that bears undergo during severe natural food shortages. Um, and I understand they are reviewing the policy, and that's been ongoing for some time. So I'm not sure exactly when the new policy is going to be released, certainly not this bear season. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. I'd like to see the operational procedure for orphan cubs um, reinstated. I cannot understand why that has been thrown out when there is science that shows that um, rehab cubs are no more or no less likely to exhibit conflict behavior than cubs of um, mothers who got into conflict. There is The science actually shows it's approximately 50-50 and it seems as though they're making this decision based on anecdotal evidence without taking that science into account. Well, and it's, it, to me, it's very frustrating. So there, there is science that supports the position that the, the Cubs deserve the second chance. But 
ethics should always play a role in policy. Uh, even, even in cases where the science is clear, ethics must have a part of that conversation. And it seems that a lot of governments are too quick to throw that out and say, well, the science. And, uh, and, and that's because they manage for populations and not for individuals. And again, that's uh, to me, it's just an archaic way of thinking. Yeah, well, that's that's the whole conversation about compassionate conservation is recognizing the individuals and and uh, and, a, and you know a little cub. My gosh, what is that little cub has to follow its mother around? Has no choice. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Millions of animals are killed for their fur each year in Canada. You can help stop the cruelty. Join the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals today and be the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. Find out more at FurBearerDefenders.com This is Defender Radio. We're back with more from Sylvia Dolson of the Get Bear Smart Society. One of the other uh, uh, articles that I've received... um, from Whistler was that another bear was killed Tuesday, October 20 after it broke into a locked vehicle. Now there's a picture uh, of this vehicle. It's and actually not the vehicle. It's just, a, it's just a file photo. Is it really? Yeah, but it was a car that was, that was broken into by a bear. Okay. Um, well, the damage sounds significant. Um, is this another part of the, the poor crop? Is this sort of just the ongoing behavior due to one bad season? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and and, and it's it's it, there's it's proof positive that bears, you know, don't want to access non-natural foods if they don't have to. They were not around at all until their natural foods ran out, and so there was virtually no conflict reported. We had sightings reported, virtually no conflict reported um, until the beginning of September. You know, so bears do not want to come around us. And, and to seek our food, they they do it as a last resort, as opposed to starving to death. You know, we all do the same thing. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, yeah, and that's, you know, at what point are you willing to steal a loaf of bread to feed your family? Exactly. I mean, I eat my fruits and veggies, but if I was really, really hungry, I'm going to go get a bag of chips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, you're a better person than I, because I that'd be kind of reversed. <laughs> um, and part of that article, though, that I, I really liked um, was the, the uh, CO saying um, that you shouldn't store garbage in your trunk even though it looks secure because a bear will still try and get into it and can cause damage. And you have a terrific solution to that. Uh, could, could you explain a bit about what the, the, the plan is that you have uh, for this, this scenario? Well, it's actually not really for that scenario, but here in Whistler, we have a problem. We don't have curbside pickup, garbage pickup. And so we have two compact, two uh, waste depots where people bring their recycling, their garbage, their compost, everything, you know, dead batteries, everything. Everything goes to two waste depots. But you need a car to get there. And this has been an ongoing issue here for years and years and years to the point where we, we have a lot of transient workers here because we are a resort town. So people come to Whistler to work in the ski industry. Um, they may come from Australia or from England or somewhere where they don't have bears. And um, they come not knowing what to do, but to confound the problem, they also don't have a vehicle. And so they make garbage, but they can't get rid of it. And so they end up stockpiling it. And last week, for example, I went and picked up seven giant bags of garbage at somebody's house. And that was, that was basically from a week and one party. Uh, but a bear can smell that, you know, from, from kilometers away. Their nose is incredibly sensitive, seven times better than a bloodhound. And so, you know, they're going to go in that house and, and see see what that smell is and, and um, get the garbage. The problem then is, is that they learn that homes have garbage. And any mammal only needs three learning experiences before they generalize a behavior. And bears are incredibly smart. They can often learn with one experience. And so after a while, they learn that homes contain food. You know, which is a secret we've been keeping from them. We have food in our cupboards, our fridges. Um, and once they learn that houses have food and garbage, then they break in on spec. Well, let's just see if this one has any. And, you know, then you've really um, created a, a, a problem. Is that, well, that bear will always have that behavior in a repertoire, and he will pull it out of the toolbox when he needs it. Every time it's a bad food year or a food shortage, um, he'll go back to what he learned. Is that something we can unteach them then uh, through through hazing? I mean, if, if a bear has learned that I can go to this shiny metal thing, bang it a few times, and get a quick treat. Uh, and again, uh, they're, they're looking for, for high calories. They're looking for the most food for the least work, I would assume, um, like many other animals of their size. So if, if you are in the habit of throwing out, you know, hunks of ground beef or the bits of your fish or... Or even uh, you know high uh, high protein nuts and things like that, seeds and various fruits and veggies. Um, are they like? Can we use any tools to teach them? Don't do this. Go somewhere else and work. Um, you know, a very intensive, intensively applied aversive conditioning program, twenty four seven, could have a good outcome on some bears. But it's not the it's it's not the magic answer, you know. We can use hazing to get a bear out of a bad situation, occasionally, 
but you know we can't we cannot keep a bear away from food when they have no alternatives imagine laying a steak on the floor in, in your living room and keeping your dog away from that while you've gone out not gonna happen you know you could teach him not to go there while you're there he would avoid you know punishment or, or whatever from you while you're there because he knows he's going to get caught um but as soon as you go out he's going to go for the steak yeah and that's that's why i typically don't leave steaks on the floor uh which i guess <laughs> is is really the whole message um of the get bear smart society and many other uh, organizations uh including our own who who again preach do not feed the animals um but one of the things I think is interesting that you touched on, and, and I, I, I want to have a quick talk about this, because I think this is the kind of thing where we could sit and drink whiskey all night and talk about, but um, Dr. Lynn Rogers, as you mentioned, and I've heard other people talk about him, and I've read a lot of his writings, um, has shown that in, in some circumstances you can feed these bears, and there's no negative fallout. But they are an incredibly unique and specific set of circumstances that are highly monitored and controlled so how can we share with the public that you know what a bear eating out of the garbage isn't the end of the world and you shouldn't fear that bear and then on sort of the the other side of that triangle say um don't feed the bears because you're going to create a problem and then on the final side say but this guy can do it uh how do we kind of present that robust philosophical uh, quagmire to 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 people. It's 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 like walking a tightrope, isn't it? You know, um, and and it's never been suggested that the general public participate in in diversionary feeding by the Get Bear Smart Society ever. You know, it's always been stated that it needs to be a planned, temporary approach that's delivered by the provincial government. Um, there is no way that people can figure out all the intricacies of a diversionary feeding program on their own. Um, they are going to cause more problems than uh, there were before. Um, you know, I, I've, 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 I've seen it happen before where people, you know, they put out a bit of dog food. Uh, we had a little limping bear at one point in, in town as an example. And people put out a little bit of uh, dog food um, in the woods. They had found this little bear's uh, daybed. There were lots of scat around. There was a daybed made. Um, so they decided to put dog food there to just, to just keep him there and, and keep him happier and let him heal. Well, what happened was a big old male came and moved the little guy off his site. So he lost his protected site. Uh, and he ended up in town. And that particular bear ended up getting killed. So that was not a happy ending. So really, um, people who wanted to do good by the bears really wanted to help them. But it, it's so difficult to implement diversionary feeding. And, it, and it, um, you know, it can't be done in the middle of town as a one-off situation. Perhaps if you are living in the boonies and, um, you know, you go throw some cherries from your cherry tree out into the woods far away from your property, uh, you know, that could work. Um, but we don't, we don't recommend that the general public participate in, in this kind of a program at all. Well, and I, I would think that even when you start looking at some of these scenarios, and, and particularly 
uh, when you're looking at feeding animals like deer and, and other ungulates or uh, um, uh, what you call it, uh, uh, I, I completely lost what I was saying, um, squirrels, chipmunks, uh, rodents like that, uh, that are quite common in, in more urbanized areas. Um, it's, it's not so much about the animal as it is the person who wants to enjoy the animal. Exactly. Um, have you found a way to politely say, stop being selfish, you're crazy? Or... Not. But, you know, if you find a way, do let me know. Well, I was going to ask you to do the same. <laughs> I mean, I find that same thing on another note when I'm dog walking and I see somebody out there with a, a collar on their dog and the dog is pulling and choking himself. And, you know, what is the nice way to say, get a harness for your dog, man? So, um, you're hurting this dog. So I know I haven't found a nice way to say certain things at all. And, and, you know, fur, what do you say to somebody wearing fur? I just haven't found polite ways. I got, I got in trouble a few weeks ago. There was somebody feeding bears. I was out of their window, seeing a bear out of their window on a popular road here. And I stopped my car and I, you know, went and knocked on the driver's door window. They were feeding out of the other side of the window. And, um, I asked them if they knew that feeding bears was illegal in this province. And they said, so, you know, and I went on to politely explain it all. And, um, that didn't help. They wanted their picture. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And I said, um, I, I, I could, you know, you don't seem to want to hear what I have to say. So I could phone the police or I could phone the conservation officer service. And they said, go right ahead. And I did, and I took a picture of the vehicle and the license plate, and they ended up getting fined $345 each. Um, but now that bear is uh, approaching vehicles for food, and it's not a good situation. I'm really worried about that bear. So is this a case where we need a more significant fine then? I mean, that's, that's I know, one of the big conversations that has happened in Alberta, uh, in uh, Banff National Park, is like... How far do we have to go to make people, particularly uh, uh, tourists, I think, uh, realize what you're doing is incredibly harmful uh, to, to this animal? Yeah, well, f uh, and, and fines are necessary, and they need to be an amount that um, causes people to think twice. That the best that this officer could do was issue each person in the vehicle the maximum fine, which is what he did. Um, but that, that that's probably not enough. My guess is they would do it again. It's just based on the conversation I had with them. Um, and that's almost where we, we then, of course, get into a, uh, a matter of scaling justice, um, which is a whole different other philosophical uh, uh, topic. So we'll, we'll skip that one for now. But uh, I, I want to kind of wrap up and just ask, if you only had one or two pieces of advice you could give to anybody who lives around bears this time of year what would it be what do you need people to know moving forward they, well they need to lobby their community uh, government for a bear proof waste system if they don't already have one that is critically important and um, they need to lobby for more um, humane policies in their area wherever they live I don't know of any areas that have terribly humane policies for dealing with human bear conflict. So I'm sure that everyone listening uh, could help with that. And, I, you know, and 
personal note at home on their property. I know your listeners are probably very good at this because they're all supporters. Um, is to not make your backyard attractive to bears. And there's a lot of things that could do that, including, you know, natural fruit trees or uh, backyard chickens. They need to be electric fenced. Um, you know, petroleum, leaving a gas can sitting out will attract a bear. Citron- yeah, citronella candles attract bears. Um, so there's a few things other than garbage and food that attract bears. Uh, so if, if folks get on our web- website, bearsmart.com, and um, check out the live section, we have live, play, and work, and then managing bears and uh, becoming a bear smart community. So the live section is where they would get advice and help on what they can do in their own backyard. To learn more about the Get Bear Smart Society or access some of their excellent Bear Smart resources, visit bearsmart.com. That's the show for this week. I can't wait to bring you more new episodes of Defender Radio, and I hope to see you on Twitter at Defender Radio or on Instagram at Howie Michael. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.